0: Hi there, this is How To Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improves your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tessa.
1: And I'm Ken. And I am excited to introduce this little mini-series of three episodes in which we are chatting with Australian neuroscientist, Dr. Mark Williams. Now, Dr. Mark is a scientist, but he's also an educator. And frankly, we could have kept chatting with him for hours, couldn't we, Tess?
0: Uh, It was a bit ridiculous, Ken. Every time we asked a question and he gave a response, I think we had, you know, three follow-up questions lined up.
1: Yeah, that's right. And look, at the end, he was very gracious because he patiently listened to a lot of our questions and explained things really well. But at the end, he also agreed to come back on the show again in the future, which is awesome. But look, I'm getting ahead of myself. In this first episode of the series, Dr. Mark shares a little of his extraordinary change of life direction after being told by his school principal that he would never amount to anything, and in fact that he would be dead or in prison by the time that he was 25. Dr. Mark explains what neuroscience is. He gives us a quick tour of some of the key areas of the brain that are involved in decision making, and he also discusses how our brain generates a representation of the world for us that then guides our decision making. So let's take a listen. Well, our very special guest today on how to choose is Dr. Mark Williams. And Dr. Mark has an extensive academic background in brain research and teaching. He's a professor of cognitive neuroscience with over 25 years of experience conducting behavioral and brain imaging research, focusing on how we interact with each other, how we learn and how we think. He's taught the fundamentals of neuroscience to thousands of students, as well as publishing more than 70 articles in high-impact international journals and also co-editing a book. He's an editorial board member of several international journals, has been awarded numerous high-profile fellowships and grants, and has worked at MIT in the US and multiple universities in Australia, which says to me, Dr. Mark, that you're a very busy person, which makes us very thankful that you're able to come onto the show today. I'm not from an okay. So I guess as an introductory question uh Dr Mark for those listeners who are unfamiliar with the term what does a neuroscientist do
2: <laughs> That's it's a, that's a p- big question so neuroscience is the study of the brain and we we do everything from the mon- molecular level um all the way to the whole systems level and we do it in a whole range of animals I'm I'm specifically a cognitive neuroscientist which means that I work with live humans rather than working with animals or rather than working with chemicals and so on so yeah i'm the sub-discipline of, of human neuroscience or cognitive neuroscience but neuroscience spans the whole gamut which is a huge huge area the The society for neuroscience conference every year is enormous about thirty five thousand 000 attendants. so it's it's a big yeah. area of research
0: and Dr. Mark, we've we read a bit about your bio, and you highlighted that uh, you actually weren't always on track to become an academic and end up in the, the the career path that you are. And you had this major sort of inflection point when you're about 25, which transformed your life. Can you share the decision processes and what what catalyzed you? into this totally different path to really the direction you were going up until that point?
2: Yeah, great question. So, yeah, I hated school, to be honest. I was actually told by my principal when I was in, well, it was Form 4 back then, but Year 9 these days, that I would be dead or in prison by the time I was 25, so I should go and get an apprenticeship uh, at the local abattoir. So, yeah, it wasn't great. Well, I wasn't in a nice state of mind. When I was 25, I actually had a couple of friends overdose uh, on drugs, and that made me realize that i wanted to do something different i didn't actually go back to school because i wanted to learn or because i wanted to go to university i went back to school because i wanted to get a a better job and i wanted to see i I wanted to change so and back then if you're on the dole they you either Tried to get a job or you went back to school so i decided to go back <laughs> to school but i was really lucky that um there was a physics teacher and a math teacher at the tafe that i went to which was in ultimo which is pretty rough in those days but they both saw something in me that i'd never seen before they, they both told me that i should pursue academia that i should go to university and do a degree which i'd never thought about before um, and they convinced me that was a good idea and i got the marks to do it so i did uh, which sort of, yeah, completely changed my outlook on myself and who I am. And, yeah, I ended up yeah at MIT, which is pretty nuts.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing story. Um, I guess segueing then onto the area that you look at in terms of the brain itself, I mean, we know that different parts of the brain have different roles when it comes to making decisions. Can you give us, and I know this is a big ask, but can you give us a, a bit of a whirlwind and maybe simplified tour of those areas of the brain for people who maybe aren't familiar with some of that brain biology?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's another doozy of a question. So um, there's there's a lot of areas involved in decision-making. I mean, to begin with, we don't actually ever make decisions just randomly we always make decisions on past and what we've already experienced in our past so a a big area that's involved of course is the memory centers and there's several different memory centers or long-term memory centers in our brain that are involved in that process this is long-term memory that we don't actually have conscious access to and those involve i won't i won't name them all because that's Probably not relevant, but there are several areas involved in that, and it depends on whether you're talking about episodic memory, which is sort of the episodes that happen in our lives, so the really important things that happen in our lives, or whether you're talking more about the abstract concepts that we actually learn as we go through, or whether you're talking about procedures. So there's also procedural memory, which is involved in uh, understanding how to walk or understand how to play soccer or understanding how to surf or doing those things and decisions that you make during those things so all those memory centers are involved to begin with because we always tap into what we've done before and how we've experienced it and then we make decisions based on that then there's the um areas like basal ganglia and stuff, which you may have heard about in relation to Parkinson's disease, but they're the areas that actually stop us from actually doing things. They stop us from not only doing physical things, but making decisions as well. And so those areas are really important as well because they make us stop and think rather than actually just doing. So most of the decisions we make during the day, we don't actually make a conscious decision. It's done automatically. And that vast majority of what we do every day, we do that. A great example this morning, I was um I get up at six o'clock and I make a cup of tea and I have a drink of water and then I sit down with my, my cup of tea and do some writing and stuff. And halfway through writing, I picked up my cup of coffee and my cup of tea and it was empty. Now, I didn't realise it was empty and I drank the whole cup without actually thinking about it. So there was multiple decisions I'd made that I hadn't thought about it all. They just happen automatically. And most of what we do during the day is, is through that. Whereas the basic ganglia and stuff, those areas actually inhibit us from doing that. So they stop us from making a decision automatically so that we can actually think about it and go through that process. And then you've got areas like the prefrontal cortex, which in humans isn't fully developed until you're about 25, plus or minus two years. And those areas are involved in your executive function. So they're the ones that make you think about how this is going to affect other people, think about how this is going to affect you, what this means in the long term versus short term, all those important aspects, and and consider those things before we make a decision. So that area is also really, really heavily involved. And then we have the emotional areas as well. So the amygdala and the orbitofrontal gyrus and those areas, of course, are really important because whenever we make a decision, it's also based on how we've experienced that in the past and the emotions attached to it which is a big part of most decisions that we actually make so all of those areas are also involved so a lot of the brain's involved and there's a lot of different aspects to it and of course it depends on the, the decision you're making if you're just making a decision you know if you're surfing and i'm going to go for this wave that's going to be different areas and if you're making a decision about whether i'm going to. Uh, propose to my fiancé. <laughs> those areas involved in those two things are going to be different and you're going to incorporate different areas um, as you need them.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. And it makes me think too, you know, we hear you know different advice from life coaches or behavioral uh, experts that will talk about the extent to which we should consider our emotions when we're making decisions, right? You know, some will say, look, follow your heart or, you know, just ignore ignore those emotions they'll lead you astray you need to be clear-headed clear-eyed as you're making decisions but you know that's not how our brain naturally works and i i'm interpreting from what you've said as well that there's an enduring role in decision making or those emotion areas of our brain perhaps that they give us information that we can tap into because they're linked i presume there's a link there to memory as well that can inform our decisions based on previous emotional experiences
2: yeah that's right so that's all very important and we've got to remember That both of those camps have sort of got it right, sort of got it wrong, because our emotions are actually indications of something that we need to be aware of in our environment. So it's actually an indication that there's something possibly there that we should actually attend to. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter which emotion you're talking about; they're, they're all telling us that that there's something we need to attend to. So if you do have an emotional response, you should attend to that emotional response and work out what it's actually trying to tell you and whether or not that's really important. Because the other aspect of the emotions is that they're they're very, very old abilities from way back millions of years ago when we we were living in a much more treacherous environment and we needed to be aware of things that we don't need to be aware of today. So it's an important mechanism to trigger that there's something there, but you need to then work out what it is that it's triggering you for and then respond to that appropriately given the world that we now live in as opposed to the world that we used to live in. So you do need to attend to them, but you shouldn't just blindly follow them because they're based on something that's very prehistoric. (laughs)
1: i think it links nicely we do talk as armchair experts about uh, brain evolution in our show and certainly that's something that we've been particularly interested in the tendency of the brain to or the the ability of the brain to identify patterns mm-hmm. and then to use those patterns to support decision making and it made me think about the the expression jumping at shadows which is a, a fairly pejorative term you know you're jumping at shadows but it it made me think well our brain has evolved in such a way that that a shadow is a message to us in, in prehistoric times that says, maybe you should jump, maybe you should move, panic, and then think later was an evolutionary benefit. So I, I'm interested to maybe drill down a little bit into that, that topic of patterns and and how we can identify patterns and use those.
2: I'll go back a step because it's really important to understand how the brain works and why we use patterns. So our brain, most of it we actually don't have access to. Most of of what's happening in our brain, we don't actually cognitively understand or actually access to or be able to change. So we have uh, what we call a working memory, which is what you th- most people would think of their consciousness. So this is what you're actually aware of. And that's really, really limited the amount of information that's actually in there. The original studies suggested that there was only what we call seven slots in your working memory, which is why our phone numbers used to be six numbers, because you could only hold six numbers at a time and then you'd need another slot to actually dial the phone number. This was before we had smartphones and could actually hold those numbers in our device. And so, That's really limited. So we only have access to a very... And most of us think that we're actually seeing the whole world, but we're not actually seeing the whole world. We're creating an illusion of the world based on the input that we're getting and based on all the rules and the patterns within our brain. So our brain has a whole bunch of rules and patterns in our long-term memory that we don't have access to. And it generates this world that we see based on all of that information, not based on what's actually out there. So that information is what's evolutionarily good for us and important for us which is why we see the world completely different to every other species that's out there and all species see the world differently based on what's important for them as that particular species which means that your long-term memory that you don't have access to has huge number of patterns and rules associated with it that it uses to make the judgments that it's actually making which is what we use to then make decisions on what's actually out there. So all of those rules and and, and, and patterns are, are what we use because of the fact that we don't actually have access to- to all that information and the world's really complicated so we can't actually input it all at the same time so we we generate this world view which is based on our prior experiences and based on what we've previously known so all of our decisions you could argue and it's been very well argued that we don't ever actually make a decision every time we actually make what we're calling the decision it's actually being predetermined by all experiences that we've previously had because we can only make a decision based on what's in our memory and in our memory system and so that's already going to determine what decisions we're going to make in the future.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. Brightening.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's actually good because it means we can actually change people. I mean, that's the thing that I love about it is you can actually have an impact on other people by actually spending time with people. Like I said, those two Teachers who actually spent time with me because they'd had the previous experience of meeting people who actually were successful but had, had had struggles. And so then they actually impacted on me because they taught me that, that this was different. And so I then had that in my brain, so I made different decisions. So it does actually mean that we can impact on each other. If it was completely random, if we had complete free will, it would mean that none of us could actually impact on anyone else. And so, therefore, we would all be making our decisions just randomly based on free will um, rather than actually making our decisions on what's happened in the past. So it means that we can actually influence people. So you running podcasts like this, the people who listen to the podcast are going to learn things and then make better decisions in the future because of the stuff that they've learned, which I think is a much better way to think about it rather than this idea that, oh, we don't have any free will. And so, therefore, everything's predetermined. But rather that we can actually influence people's decision because of what they actually learn from us.
0: There's so much to unpack in that, and I think there's even um, points like Carol, Carol Dweck's research on fixed versus growth mindset. If, if you can approach the world with that sort of growth mindset of thinking, no, my brain is malleable, and every every input I get will actually make a different output. And I, you know, you're constantly changing and improving by being open, by learning from from other people and practicing. Yep. So I think that's a really that we don't have one path and this is our destiny and you know very open we're very malleable which is the amazing thing about the brain and you also made some good points there as well and and a really clear illustration of your point about the fact that we don't see everything um, that we're basically filling in a lot of blanks if anyone hasn't googled the uh the basketball passing video I'm not going to give it away if you haven't done it but just google basketball black and white count the passes and it's such a clear indicator of the fact that our our eyes literally aren't seeing everything in front of us. We we kind of, you know, it feels like we're seeing the full picture, but we're really not. Yeah. But the brain is just incredible.
1: So did you enjoy that, Tess?
0: Oh, so much. And even though it was re-listening to it, I, I learned more even the second time. What were your key takeaways, Ken?
1: Well, look, I found it all really interesting, but I think it's probably worth just quickly recapping those three areas of the brain that Dr. Mark mentioned that are involved in our decision-making because I found that really helpful. Now, we're not going deeply into physiology here, but just in layman's terms, he mentioned the basal ganglia. And the basal ganglia has an inhibitory role in making us pause rather than act, which is obviously important for those decisions that should not be subconscious and automatic. And it helps us not to just fly through the whole day on autopilot. He also mentioned the prefrontal cortex, And that's involved in considering the implications of particular decisions and options. So again, it's a critical part of our brain. Interestingly, it's not fully developed until around 25 years of age, as he mentioned, which it helps explain some of the impulsivity that we see in young adults. He mentioned also the amygdala, which is part of the limbic system, and that's involved with intense emotions and memories. Uh, The amygdala detects threats in the environment, it gives us emotional information that can inform our decisions, and it responds not just to threats, but also really strong positive emotions. Emotions, and here, look, if you'll indulge me, this is my analogy, it has not been vetted by Dr. Mark, so you can blame me if you don't like it, but I think of emotions functioning a bit like a smoke alarm. So We don't ignore smoke alarms, but also we don't run screaming from the room or the building every time a smoke alarm goes off we should pay attention, we should evaluate what's happening, and then decide what the appropriate response is. Now, there is a caveat here, because sometimes we do need to react really fast. We we react automatically uh, to high-threat situations, but this isn't always the response. So what about you, Tess? What was your main takeaway?
0: Look, I was particularly interested in the concept that our brain creates a representation of the world which is kind of an illusion. We don't actually see everything. Our brain is really filling in the the blanks there. And then also for me, it was the idea that our long-term memory stores information that then informs our decision-making. So even though our working memory might not be able to hold, you know, much information that you need to hand at any one time, it is all in that um, that long-term memory. Uh, And that we can learn at any age and that knowledge will really shape how we make decisions in the future.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I I think I enjoyed the fact that he gave us a little plug in this episode as well about the value of sitting down and listening to podcasts like this or reading books that can help us change our brains and change how we think about decision making. So, well, look, if you've enjoyed this uh, first episode in the series, here's a few things that you can do. Firstly, go and check out Dr. Mark's website. Uh, So his website, very easy to find, drmarkwilliams.com. We'd encourage you also check out our website, goodbetterright.com.au, and we've got some good resources there that you might find really helpful. Please also subscribe to our show so you don't miss any of our awesome episodes. And if you have it in your heart to do so, and if your podcast player allows it, we would be so grateful if you could rate the show and leave a short review. And you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and Spotify, I think, allows you to rate the shows as well. It just might help other people to find the show.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. And don't miss the rest of this mini series with Dr. Mark Williams. Uh, in the next part, we actually look at the aging brain in a little bit more detail. And it actually upended my my view. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for that one.
1: Awesome. We'll chat to you then.